And welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa, who's wearing an OSU shirt and an LSU hat. Dustin, how you doing this evening? I'm just just locked in on College World, the men's College World Series. Wishing Oklahoma State was in it, but cheering for the Tigers. My dad and I are going to try to go to the championship series if they make it, but they're in the losers bracket now, so. They'll have to win quite a few. We'll Crazier. see. But I know people don't care about that at all, Kate. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I just love it. You you uh, are are like split spirit right here. I'm I'm very thankful for it. It's great. It's like you know uh, the wear your colors ads that used to happen like for college football season where you'd have like a house divided. That's kind of you right now. But I don't know if I've ever <laughs> seen an Oklahoma State LSU combo. It's really really solid. I rocked it the LSU hat with an orange polo or orange OSU shirt several times in college. And sometimes after college, when I was in Stillwater and there would be like a big LSU game would go with that look. Yeah, I'm sure people big, really hated that and it doesn't really match very well, but uh, it, it was something I did. So respect. I don't know if I ever wore an article of UMKC clothing while I was on campus. It was all <laughs> OSU stuff. I'm sure people were like, Hey, is everything okay? So yeah, I, <laughs> I, I feel you a little bit on that, but Dustin, we've got some news to get to on the football side. Obviously some, you know, news coming out this, this morning about T Boone Pickens leaving Oklahoma state university and athletics uh, a donation, a very generous donation posthumously. So uh, maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we wanted to start with this because it's not really related to football, but it touches football and it's kind of the big Oklahoma State story. So we wanted to hit this first, but Oklahoma State landed another sizable donation from the late Boone Pickens. President Casey Shrum announced Tuesday at the university will receive a $120 million donation from the T. Boone Pickens Foundation. I think, Kate, I'm not sure where where you saw that, but I, I saw the Oklahoman as kind of the first source to drop that. I think it was Jenny Carlson that wrote it. But a majority of the gift will go towards academics with the remaining portion allocated to athletics. A total of $63.7 million goes towards student scholarships, facilitating greater accessibility to higher education and empowering students to chase, this is all from the university, to chase their dreams unhindered by financial constraints, according to the announcement release. The big news kind of related to football would be the new Human Performance Center that is receiving funding from the state of Oklahoma and will also house the new Cowboy Football Center. That's going to receive $25 million of the donation. The facility will conduct research and help Oklahoma statewide find ways to be more productive physically and lead healthier lives. And I think the remaining portion of that, Cade, is covered by a grant that Dr. Shrum was able to get, is my understanding from some previous news that came out about it. That wasn't in this release, but... And then also the rebuilding of Karsten Creek, the home of the Oklahoma State golf team that will receive thirty one point three million, and that donation could even increase to thirty five because the they're undergoing a massive renovation right now, and it may end up being a little bit more than that thirty one point three. 
and the alumnus and fame, the or Boone Pickens, the alumnus and fame philanthropist who died on September 11th, 2019, at age 91, now approaches 650 million in total giving to Oklahoma State University. Yeah, I mean the the numbers are astonishing, and I think a lot of people around the university uh, knew, but I think as a fan. Everybody was wondering, you know, what, if anything, you know, we had heard rumors that there was something, but we didn't actually know. So it's it's great to see this that, you know, Boone Pickens, even after his death, you know, years ago, continues to leave such an impact on the university. It's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And I, I know, you know, you see some things, comments underneath the article or on Twitter talking about where the money should be allocated. But I think the main takeaway here is. It's awesome just to get that. I mean, six hundred and fifty million is insane. And I know, I know, bigger schools have big donors as well, but not a lot of schools have one guy that's giving that gave this much money throughout his lifetime. You know, I think Mike Holder kind of brought Boone Pickens in and kind of made that relationship the relationship it came to be. So shout out to him for that. And it's just awesome to kind of see this money being spread around in different spots and focusing yeah. on academics. And I, I I think it's great all around. I don't really have any negative takes on it. And I'm not just saying that because we're on a podcast. Yeah. Well, well, two things. One, when you donate $650 million, you can decide where it goes. <laughs> so to the people in the comments, maybe you pony up 650 mil and then you can put it where you want to put it. That's all part of it. If you're listening to this podcast and you have that much money to donate, send us a little let me, bit. Just let, throw us a bone. Let let Dustin and I hold just ha- half a stack. We'd be fine <laughs> with that. But Kate, no, no real big takes on that, I don't think, from either of us. We just kind of wanted to recap that. We know most podcasts and most Oklahoma State news outlets are reporting on this, so we didn't want to spend a ton of time on it, but it felt weird not to mention it at all. I think it would absolutely be weird. And I think obviously the uh, Innovation Center, I know that's not the official nomenclature, but uh, I do think that that's the HPC, the Human Performance Center uh, (laughs) or something is going to be really cool and football adjacent, obviously. So that's going to be quite the the building once it goes up. I I think it's going to look pretty sweet. So anyway, Dustin, thanks for walking us through that. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm interested to see what all they do to Karsten Creek. Cause it's already a beautiful golf course. So yeah. adding 31.3 million in there, it's going to be cool. You know, when they, if they lay all that out, like bullet pointed out of what all they did, cause I'm sure some of the things they're adding are things you and I would never even think to add to a golf course. That'll make it even better. I heard some rumblings about hole number 11. I, I don't have a lot to share that I want to put my name on, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the hole at Karsten Creek, but I've, I've heard some things might happen with that. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see though. 31 mil is a lot of money for a golf course renovation. So uh, excited to see what, what they end up doing. I I've got a, a long list of guesses, but I would imagine a lot of it is around just course infrastructure, like how it's laid out. Well, and, you know, maybe even making things more, you know, bet like better overall for the players that are at Oklahoma yeah, state. Sure, I, you know, sure. I know there's not that many of them on the team at one time and it's an entire golf course, but we've seen Oklahoma state, you know, get knocked out in the regional round of the NCAA tournament this year. I know people are kind of down on the team right now. So this obviously this announcement should help recruiting in the future. You know, if it's, if it's just an amazing course, amazing place to practice for 
the Oklahoma State golf team could overall help recruiting and bring this team back to where it once was. So something kind of, as you we were talking about it, I just kind of thought of when you were talking about hole 11. Yeah, but we'll see, man. I, I'm excited to see what they end up doing with it. Yeah, me too. One quick NFL note. I didn't see much in Cade. You know me. I'm trying my best to gather any NFL notes I can because it is fun. You know, the guys like Mason Rudolph, James Washington that are still in the league, but there's only so much that we can get out of them, you know, because at this point in their career, they've been there for a little while now. You know, Mason Rudolph, maybe he'll get another shot as a starter. James Washington, we kind of have seen what he can do a little bit. He's fighting through injuries. Obviously, we hope he can perform well with my Saints. But it's most interesting, I think, these guys that just got in the league and seeing if they're going to land on a team, the guys that got drafted, seeing what they signed for, how they're doing in camp, because you and I talked about it so much leading up to the draft. So I find that the most interesting. So I've been kind of focusing on those guys. But if you, if the listeners want us to do this differently at all, please let us know. But Kate, I, I think that was your thought as well, right? You wait, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. So the only note I saw so far... We mentioned previously Tanner Brown, former Oklahoma State kicker, signed by the Los Angeles Rams. They also signed Chris Dunn from NC State. So they had two young guys that were going at it. They lost Matt Gay in free agency, former Pro Bowl kicker. They just released Chris Dunn. Okay, that tells me either they kind of like Brown, and so they're releasing Dunn and might go get a veteran, or they like Brown a lot. But either way... Goodness. I see him being on the roster for at least a little while longer, if not the entire season, because at this time he's the only kicker. Yeah, which I mean, you have to think is a good thing, right? I'm sure they're they're planning to go get a veteran kicker, or maybe they're going to roll the dice and see how long they can get by with Tanner Brown, not have to write that paycheck to a veteran, and <laughs> I mean, go about it that way. I I don't blame them. I mean, turn on the tape. Tanner Brown's one of the best kickers to come through Oklahoma State in quite some time. I agree. And you and I, I know when we were talking, we talked about Matt Himbro a lot. We talked about some of these guys sticking on teams. Tanner Brown is a name we mentioned, though, because yep. I think this is going to be, you know, we talked a lot. And, you know, I'm, I don't love to talk about special teams, but we've talked a ton about the offense. We talked a ton about the defense. We talked a lot about all the transfers in and out, all the movement, the the record last season, the win over under loss total this season. Something we don't talk about is Tanner Brown. And I know Alex Hale is still on the team, but I think we're going to miss Tanner Brown a little bit next season in some clutch situations. Yeah, I, I'm not saying they're going to lose games because of it, but if you see Hale miss a field goal that Brown probably would have nailed, I just, I think, I think it's an underrated thing that Brown is leaving. Yeah. You don't miss a kicker until you have a bad one. Uh, I mean, I, I remember not that Matt Amendola was a bad kicker, but Tanner Brown, I mean, if you compared the two, Tanner Brown was better. And I will never forget Matt Amendola doinking two inside of 30 yards in Lubbock. Uh, I think that was the 2017 season. Uh, and I, my first thought was, oh, man, I miss Ben Grogan. So you you literally <laughs> never miss a kicker until you have a bad one. So I think that's a great call out from you, Dustin, because I, I would agree with that. I, I think Alex Hale has done it well for a little bit, but I think there's a reason Tanner Brown was your kicker last year. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Kate, moving on, the last kind of football note before we have recruiting. We mentioned this last week, almost perfect timing. I had no idea that Athletic was writing an article about it. I'm not sure if you did. Yeah, you got the this. scoop from Bruce Feldman. Nice job. Yeah, so 
we had heard and we mentioned it on the last podcast that Alan Bowman had taken the Oklahoma State receiving core, multiple members of the receiving core out to just outside San Diego, California to work with some former NFL guys, some professional coaches, trainers, and just kind of work on their timing, get everything situated because the guys haven't been together for a long time. We were talking about how we thought this was really cool that Bowman did that, you know, showed that he's really committed, that he wants you know, to have a great season and what could be his last season. But Kate, I don't want to rehash everything again, but there were some kind of noteworthy things in that article. I wanted to throw a couple of a couple of them at you and see if you had any that maybe I was missing. Yeah. But the first thing was that Bowman and the receivers financed the trip to California with the NIL funds from Pokes with a Purpose. Yeah. That's awesome. That's the way that NIL is being is like being used to benefit the players' development, and also I think the fans can get behind that as well. I didn't even know that that was. I I guess it's shame on me for not even considering that as a possibility. But yeah, of course you can do that nowadays. I five years ago, Des Bryant's getting suspended for an entire year. So very very fun (laughs) world we live in. I just think it's cool that the guys decided to use it on that. And I like, you know what I mean? There's not, uh, is there any negative argument to them doing that? Absolutely I not. Think when I was trying nope, to think of that, they before. didn't have to pay for anything, nothing. There, there's not many, and I'm sure someone will point something out to us on Twitter, <laughs> but there's not many things in life that I think everybody could get behind. And this, that situation may be one of them. Yeah. We should look for more things like this as a, as a people. Uh, next, I thought it was, Something that kind of caught my attention. I actually think I saw somebody post this first before I noticed it. Like I read the article and then noticed somebody say this on the PFP Plus chamber, which is the paid portion of the Pistols Firing website. I think it was our guy, Glory Cowboy, actually, that sends in questions. Mm. He noted that Alan Bowman said, quote, I thought I'm going to knock out this degree in two years, talking about being at Michigan, and then I'm going to have one more year potentially two if we get a waiver i just stayed the course i missed Feldman didn't really you know kind of go any farther into that quote and that wasn't the point of the article but it makes sense Cade, because he missed so much time with the collapsed lungs and then he had the broken ankle the next season and broken collarbone or i think sprained ankle and broken collarbone i, I think he actually could get a waiver now he's good He's going to be Brandon Whedon old by the time he's out of college. Now, what do you, I wanted to get your take on that. And I know this could probably turn into a really long, lengthy conversation so we can shorten it. And you're probably going to get mad at me for even bringing it up. But how do you feel like the quarterback room react? The rest of the quarterback room would react to that if Alan Bowman came back for another year. And I'm talking about Garrett Rangel, Zane Floors, and then a potentially incoming QB in this next class who we'll talk about in a little bit. Oh, I, I'm sure that you on the surface don't love it if you're, you know, Zane Flores, but at the same time, I, as a fan, and I think Mike Gundy's job is to put the best player on the field at the at the at the time he can. Um, so I guess my my response would be if that was the case and you were dealing with some potentially upset underclassmen, it would be make it to where he, he can't stay. Make it to where it's not his job anymore. Um, and I think that that's probably the way Oklahoma state's going to approach it. It's an open QB competition this year. 
that Alan Bowman's going to win, and it could be that next year as well. So let's say he gets the waiver. I'm not letting you off that easy, Kate. Let's say he gets the waiver. Oklahoma State wins 10 games this season, and he has a maybe not second team all Big 12, but maybe there's talk of him being second team all Big 12, and he gets an honorable mention as a quarterback having a better season or just as good of a season as we saw from Spencer Sanders two years ago when Oklahoma yes. State went to the Big 12 championship. Yeah, I, mean, I think yes. you have to keep you, you have to tell the young guys, hey, we've got a bunch of guys coming back. We we've got to go with Bowman again. We're yeah, and, the because and the just hope they don't transfer, right? Yeah, the conversation at that point is we're gonna try to go win the conference and make a run for a college football playoff. So yeah. either get on or get off. Like that's unfortunately how it's gonna if that's the case, that's how it would go. Now, he could totally not get a waiver, and this is a moot point, but I think you have a really good point here. He played hardly any over the last three years. I mean, I think he played, what was it, four games? Is that right? In his sophomore season, whenever the uh, collapsed lung and collarbone happened? Yeah, I think I think it was four or five in that season. And then the next it's gonna season, be close he enough. again. Yeah, I think it's right. Like eight games total over two years, like you were saying, or something. Yeah, like it's going to be really close, which makes me that actually is kind of exciting. The idea of Alan Bowman for two years in this system, uh, which speaking of this system, we don't have to get there yet. I know we're probably headed there with his comments on that. I I, I am very interested in that possibility. Yeah, no, I we can get there now, Cade. And and I kind of knew what your answer was going to be. That second one, I know it wasn't like. A hard question. I just wanted to pose that point I'm glad almost to the listeners as well as that could that could be a reality. And if it happens that way, I think it's a big positive for Oklahoma State. But what you were mentioning is how they got Alan Bowman to come well, to Oklahoma State. Yeah. And and yeah. just the the scheme and the film and everything. He's he was on a trip, a visit to Waco. He was going to sign with Baylor. And they were supposed to spend the night there. He talked. Uh, I think it was his former, his former offensive coordinator in Michigan, Sharon Moore, called him and said, "Hey, I just talked to Oklahoma State. I hooked you up. It's a great situation. You need to go check it out." Casey Dunn called Bowman while he was in Waco. Supposed to spend the night there. I looked at my dad. Okay, screw it. The portal was closing on Sunday night. This was Saturday night. We left Waco at 10 p.m. and drove five hours north on 35. Bowman asked if he could meet with Dunn. He said they could show Dunn said he could show him around the campus. He said, all I want to do is get in the film room. Quote, all I want to do is get in the film room and see if this offense is going to be a fit for me. He told Coach Dunn. And then he sat for five hours with Dunn and co- quarterbacks coach Tim Rattay. And he just said it was a what they were talking about was a mixture of Michigan and Texas Tech's offense, which I think what you were getting at. And he just basically was like, he said 30 minutes in, he was he was going to sign at Oklahoma State, and they stayed there for four and a half more hours. Yeah, which is uh, pretty awesome because if I love Baylor's scheme, right? And I, if Baylor was looking at him, they were probably going to say, look, you are going to be doing about 80% of what you were doing at, let's say 70% of what you were doing at Michigan with a blend of what you were doing at Tech. And I think that Oklahoma State, it would appear is going to be a little more blended than that, but similar to Baylor. And I love the way Baylor does things. Um, So it's not surprising that they were looking at him. What I think the story there is, 
is how maturely Alan Bowman handled that situation. Not even really wanting to see the facilities, not really wanting to, doesn't care to see the locker room. This is about getting to work and, and winning football games for him. I love that. And and I'm sure Mike Gundy did as well. There was a line in there that said we needed a quarterback and we hit a home run at quarterback, which is huge praise, Dustin. Like I, you can't overlook that line because Mike Gundy doesn't historically do that in the offseason. I think the last quarterback he talked about that way was Spencer Sanders in his senior year, right? It's been a long time since we've heard him heap praise on a player like that. So clearly there's good things happening. That's one that stuck out to me as well. But I mean, there's a line here, Dustin, that says, I think a huge reason that Oklahoma State was so high on getting me was because we're bringing in a tight end and now we're going under center. We're now getting into the play action and getting into the boot game. He said, there's going to be no secret in the first game when we get to 13 personnel or when we're in I formation in the middle of the field. Hey, I, to- I told you at that practice, they were at the 45-yard line. In That's I why formation. I brought it up. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think fans are going to be shocked. Again, they're still going to do some of the zone scheme stuff that they've done. They're still going to spread it out. They're still going to go shotgun. But there's going to be more of these things that you haven't seen from Oklahoma State in recent years. And I think it's a great point by you. And kid, you kind of segued into the next note that I had talking about going under center. I thought it was interesting. And I, I think people, you know, you and I obviously don't have a great understanding of this because we didn't play college football. And we definitely didn't play quarterback at the college level. And I think fans in general, he's talking about his time at Michigan coming from tech, which was a, you know, air raid, spread it out, throw the ball, shotgun every play, never going under center. He says he showed up at Michigan in June thinking that I'd win the starting job in six weeks. I'd never really been under center before. I'd never taken a play action drop in a live practice setting, never worn a knee brace before. And I had to wear a knee brace, never commanded a huddle, never looked at anybody in the eye in a huddle, never looked at a wristband because they were a hurry up, no huddle. And he says, now you're telling me there's four different footworks for inside zone. I had two left feet. I was worried about which foot to step with first, much less trying to complete a pass. I was so lost in learning talking to some of my buddies and I said, it now makes sense why Patrick Mahomes had to take a year in the NFL to develop. I don't think people think, you know, you hear, you hear people yell from the stands, yell on Twitter or all caps on Twitter. Why don't we go under center more? Things like that. And we talk about it too. You know, the zone scheme, people are like, why don't they run the gap scheme more? You can't just switch in the middle of the season, but it takes a full off season to learn these things. It is impossible to just, even the smartest player, the most, that's also the best athlete is going to struggle when you have so many different things to memorize, so many different audibles, so many different steps in your footwork to just execute a play, not to mention whatever the defense is doing on the other end. I just, I thought that was a great kind of string of quotes to reiterate that point that you and I, I feel like we're just kind of yelling, not yelling, talking sensibly into a brick wall at times last season when we were also frustrated watching this team. Yeah. I mean, how many times did we get that question specifically? Like, why doesn't oh, yeah. Oklahoma State pull more linemen? It's like, just they don't practice it and it takes a long time to practice it. So I, I love that you brought that quote up, Dustin. I just, I go back to, I mean, this season, and I, I'm, I don't know if you have any more lines from Alan Bowman, but if we can certainly get to him. I have no idea what to expect this season. I mean, there's new faces all over the place. It sounds like the scheme has changed, if not radically, a lot. 
And you have said that you've seen it with your own eyes. You've seen some of it with your own eyes. But I mean, just from reading that, the idea of Oklahoma State having three tight ends on the field under center at the 50 yard line bootleg type of I mean, I Oklahoma State has not done that in my lifetime. So this is going to look very different. And I personally can't wait. And I think Oklahoma State fans should be optimistic because I think one of the biggest question marks is quarterback. And if they can answer that with, I mean, a home run, quote unquote, I mean, I, I think you're going to look up and be pretty happy with the way things have gone in 2023. Oh, no, that's a great, great point, Kate. And honestly, it was a perfect way to end this segment. But I did want to just mention the part about the the receivers actually being there since we kind of yeah, mainly talked about Alan Bowman. Just to correct a couple or one thing that I said last week. But so the quarterback, so... One thing I said that was wrong, I think I said wide, when I listened to it back, I think I said wide receiver, KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. He's a quarterback, obviously, but the quarterbacks, so Bowman and Jefferson came to train with private quarterbacks coach George Whitfield, who arranged for some San Diego State centers to join in. So, you know, some of that under center work and for former Green Bay Packers receiver, Brett Swain, to help work with the Oklahoma State wideouts. Bowman had trained with Whitfield years ago when he was at Tech and had one of his receivers with him at the time. He said that as his last ride, he wanted to fine tune some things. And he was like, why not bring a bunch of the wide receivers with me, too? So the other thing I wanted to correct, I think I said the talent Shetron was there. From Feldman's article, it does not sound like he was. I think Robert Allen said that on the radio. Now, I do know that Shetron is recovered from his injury, so that is correct. But it sounds like it was just Jaden Bray, Brendan Presley, Rashad Owens, Blaine Green, and Dejon Stribling. And then the mechanical thing that Bowman wanted to work on, he said, was narrowing his base and getting his lower body more involved in his throwing motion. So kind of, you know, think about it. He's kind of tending to overstride, and he even mentioned that and causes him to lose some accuracy on the football. So just kind of continue working on that. So it's kind of cool that he knows he's self-aware and knows what he needs to work on and continue improving. Okay. That was all I really have on it. I just wanted to mention that those guys were there. It wasn't just a rumor. We heard it came out in the athletics. So kind of good timing on our end, dropping that and then that coming out. I mean, the article was fantastic. And Dustin, thank you for bringing it up because it was probably the Oklahoma state highlight of last week. I mean, is that, I mean, it was a fantastically oh, yeah. written article from Bruce Feldman on the athletic. I would say worth the subscription that I pay and hardly ever use this. That was worth it right there. <laughs> so uh, absolutely worth the uh, 10 minutes. It'll take you to read it. Yeah, it's so good. And we'll get to a question on it later, but it, you know, it really hyped. I know you and I up and I think oh, the yeah. rest of the fan base. So absolutely. we'll get to that question, but okay, that's all we have. We'll get into recruiting. I did want to start with one negative note on Michigan getting Micah Capana. He's the 2024. They got a commitment from him. The 2024 running back uh, from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, 5'11", 195-pound, three-star, number 72-rated running back, number four player overall in Nevada, according to 247. He had narrowed it down to Oklahoma State, Hawaii, Nebraska, Washington State, and Michigan. Chose Michigan. Oklahoma State actually has a higher-rated running back, according to 247, in the class already in Rodney Fields, who we've talked about multiple times. We'll talk about again here in a second. The Southeast, former Southeast, and now Dell City running back. So not a huge loss, but I did just want to mention, because Micah Capana is someone I think we mentioned multiple times on here, and I actually think I said – I thought Oklahoma State was had a good shot of landing right. him, so I was wrong. Wanted to correct, just correcting myself a bunch on this pod. So, a little humble pie. It's a good look for you. <laughs> Next, we did get one commitment 
and we're going to talk about some more, but we got a commitment from Trey Griffiths, 2024 wide receiver, 6'3", 205 pounds from Keller High School in Keller, Texas. Three-star, number 131 rated wide receiver, number 147 rated player in Texas. He visited Stillwater last weekend and said that the stability with the program was a huge factor in his decision. Oklahoma State offered him not that long ago in May, and he chose Oklahoma State over offers from Baylor, Boston College, Kansas, Texas Tech, Utah, and Utah State. Took off as a junior last season with 836 yards and seven touchdowns on 30 receptions, and he's going to enter his senior season as a three-year starter after helping them go 10-3 and three last season, so not an Adam Lunt special, and he was first-team all-district in 6A. So Keller's also, Cade, one note, Keller's losing their uh, main receiver, Amarion Henry, from last season, their top receiver. So if Griffiths is going to be the main guy coming in, so you should see him most likely go over 1,000 yards and probably oh, yeah. double-digit touchdowns. Blaine Green was his host, which makes sense because if you heard what I said his height and weight were, 6'3", <laughs> 205, a guy that could maybe even switch to a little bit of tight end, which we saw Blaine Green do. Okay, what do you think about this commitment? Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I think a guy with that type of um, physique is always going to be interesting at a position that Oklahoma State has routinely shown an ability to develop into high-profile players. I mean, this is a guy that I'm kind of looking to be one of the, you know, leaders in the wide receiver room years down the road, similar to a Blaine Green, even a Rashad Owens, another, you know, big bodied receiver that I think of when I think of, you know, guys like that. So, no, I like to pick up a lot. And I, I do think he's going to end up being somebody to keep an eye on down the road. Yeah. And he's uh he's a guy that's friends with Landon Cleveland and David Cabongo, two current Oklahoma State commits. Those two, Cade, we'll probably talk about them again here in a little bit. They are uh, they should get some extra NIL money for what they're doing yeah, in recruiting I, other players right now. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Could you put like a commission, like a referral bonus type plan in place for uh, you know, high school prospects? Okay, that is a that's an excellent idea. You Thank I'm you gonna give you credit for that idea, even though like I because mine was a joke and you just made it a true idea. Well, well, here's the deal. Here's what marketing people do. They come up with stuff like that that never would work. So just know that. <laughs> no, I love it. But he's the third highest rated prospect in Oklahoma State's current 2024 class, and he's the first wide receiver commit. Looking at his film, I merely saw him on the outside. He's a big body, big catch radius. Not the most crisp route runner, and sometimes the routes he was running, I think they were just kind of finding a hole in a zone because it wasn't even a true route. Not terrible, just not crisp. Again, I, he's got the body and frame to bulk up and possibly play tight end. I don't know if he will. Moves well after the catch, well enough for a receiver. Not elite speed, but he moves well side to side, that lateral agility. So I like the pickup. Um, along with that, before we get to the visits from last weekend, one offer went out, Chauncey Johnson, 2024, 6'4", 295 pounder from Lone Oak High School in Lone Oak, Arkansas. He's not rated, but he was a guy, we've, we hear this all the time after these camps, which were last week. He's a guy at the down and dirty lineman camp that Oklahoma State had not offered. Coach Dickey loved him, ends up giving him an offer. I think it was yesterday. He's a guy that also wrestles, came in seventh at state last season, last wrestling season. So, you know, Oklahoma State coaches staff loves that. He plays both ways, offensive and defensive line. 
and currently he only has offers from Missouri and Southeast Missouri and Memphis, I believe at this time. And he's going to come on an official visit this weekend. That's just it. Is there anything more Oklahoma state? <laughs> is is that the most Oklahoma state recruit you've ever heard of right there? I, do we say that every week? I, I think so. I, and they just, they continue to find guys like this that continue to perform well. So I really like Johnson. We'll see if his recruitment picks up being from Arkansas and Oklahoma state getting in on him early. He is 2024. So, you know, not that much longer until that class finalizes, but a guy to keep an eye on that. I'm going to take off. I'm sure he'll get that high three-star rating and then we'll kind of see where it goes. Usually. From there. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And then uh, last note, before we talk about the visits, Kylan Reed, the linebacker trimmed his list down to three Oklahoma state, Baylor and Utah. He's the one out of Mansfield mm. summit, six two, two hundred and ten 210 pounds. The guy yeah, you might remember, he's the one that was injured last year, but he had yeah. a really good sophomore season. So he's been on campus before. We'll see how that goes. I think Oklahoma State's in a good spot, but I definitely think Baylor and Utah are two good schools as well. So we'll see where that goes with Reed. But that was all I really had. And and we'll kind of now I just kind of wanted to get to the visits, just kind of list those off if you're cool yeah, with that. I am. By the way, Baylor and Utah play each other this year. So that'll be one I would imagine that Kylan Reed would be at. So yes, yes, I could see that for sure. So 11 official visitors last weekend. One note from the official visit. I know Thursday night they all hung out at Coach Gundy's house. Big dinner there. That sounded cool. I'm sure they did a lot of interesting things. You know, maybe saw some of the wildlife, maybe jumped in the pool. So everybody was in attendance for that. That was there from Had Thursday. Had some rib on. crib I think, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think a couple of guys showed up on Friday, showed up on Saturday. But I just wanted to list them off, just kind of their you know, their, their measurables and where they're from, their rating. And we'll list off all 11. And then Kate, I had a couple of notes and a couple of predictions that I wanted to throw out. So Armstrong, Notum, 2024 defensive. All these guys are 2024, so I'm not going to say that. Defensive lineman, 6'2", 260 from Mesquite Horn High School in Mesquite, Texas. He's a three-star, number 91 edge, number 180 in Texas. Brian Huff, wide receiver, 6'4", 221, 221 pounds from Valley View High School in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Three-star, number 52 rated wide receiver, number seven player overall in Arkansas. C.J. Brown, 2024, six foot, 185 pounds from Bentonville High School in Bentonville, Arkansas. He's a three-star, number 76 wide receiver, number five player overall in Arkansas. And sorry, Huff was a linebacker, number 52 rated linebacker, my bad. David Cabongo, the commit, safety, 5'11", 180 pounds from Byron Nelson High School in Trophy Club, Texas. He's a three-star, number 79 rated safety, number 121 overall rated player in Texas. Eddie Smith, another defensive lineman, 6'6", 250 from Dawson High School in Pearland, Texas. He's a three-star. He's number 21 rated edge in the country and number 56 player in Texas. He's a guy that's right on that line of three-star, four-star Gunner Wilson, he's a 20, the 2020, 2024 linebacker from Melissa High School in Melissa, Texas. We've talked about him, not rated, 6'2", 210 pounds. Jonathan Agumabu, he's the 2024 linebacker from McKinney High School. He's going to be announcing his commitment on July 4th. We'll talk about him a little bit more. He's 6'2", 220 pounds. My, <laughs> I'm going to try to say it again, Maya Leuwaki. Yes, that's how you say it. <laughs> Smith. He's the quarterback, 6'4", 195 pounds from Junipero Serra High School, San Mateo, California. He's the one we weren't sure if he was visiting, and then it got confirmed 
last podcast, and then he visited over the weekend. Yep. Number 31 QB, number 40 in California. Mitchell Hodnett, he's offensive tackle, 6'6", 295, from Sterlington High School in Monroe, Louisiana, not rated. Rodney Fields, we ran through his measurables earlier. He's the running back from Dell City. Tamir Johnson, he's an edge, 6'3", 205, from Midlothian Heritage High School in Midlothian, Texas. Three-star, number 56 edge, number 123 in Texas. Trey Griffiths, already talked about him. He's the commit. And then Willie Nelson, also an Oklahoma State commit. He's the safety, 5'9", 170 pounds from Longview, Texas. So, Cade, that was all 11 guys. Our understanding is there are some silent commitments right now, and we think most of them are on the defensive side. We've heard a little bit about it. Nothing that we can say is concrete, but we have some predictions that might be more like educated guesses that I wanted to get your take on. I'm so ready to hear it. Okay, my first one, and we said this last week, so I'm not I'm not coming off this one. I think he's going to announce sometime soon because I think he's taking his official visit, or he took his official visit last weekend. And he may have one other one set up. I haven't seen anything on it, but I think he's going to announce something soon. This is Armstrong Notum, the defensive lineman from Mesquite Horn. He's the Rice commit that we heard Oklahoma State offered. There's no other big names on there. I think they're going to be able to get him to flip from Rice. And I I think we should hear a commitment on this fairly soon. I I really think they're going to get this guy. Yeah, it would be fantastic. I mean, it sounds like Nardo just, kind of recruiting the lights out potentially. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. The next one, Gunnar Wilson, the Melissa high school linebacker, 6'2", 210 pounds. He's announcing his commitment this Saturday. Oklahoma state's his only power five offer. His host was chance Clements, the son of Joe Bob. They gave him a good host there. The other schools that have offered, I, I just don't see any of them really being in play if he even wants to come to Oklahoma State at all. He's the one who primarily has played tight end, but they see him projecting more as a linebacker. He played both ways, 40 total tackles, three pass breakups, and two interceptions in five games last year at linebacker. I think we see a commitment from Wilson on Saturday. Mm. Be pretty interesting. Next, Jonathan Agumadu, the McKinney High School linebacker. He's announcing on July 4th, he's got a visit to SMU this week, but this is another guy that's close with David Cabongo in Landon Cleveland. And again, I I think Agumadu, when he commits on July 4th, unless he just is blown away at his SMU visit, a place where I believe he's already been, so it won't be anything like crazy new that he sees I think Oklahoma State lands him as well. I I mean, I think the only thing is if SMU had some big NIL deal or something like that that could compete with Oklahoma State, but I think it's going to be a Gumadu on July 4th going to Oklahoma State. Yeah, he's he's a stud. A guy that I would be really excited to see Oklahoma State land. Again, you always look at the offer list and who they're up against. This is a classic kind of maybe not quite diamond in the rough. I think he's going to be a little bit more high profile than that. But I think Oklahoma State could potentially have got a good one here. Yeah, and then for the last one, Kate, on defense, I think it could be Tameric Johnson, the edge from Midlothian Heritage. I think it could end up being a Kyland Reed, who we talked about earlier that trimmed his list to OSU, Baylor, Utah. I feel a little bit more certain about the other three, unless you have any 
different mm-hmm. take on that. But the fourth one, not 100% sure on, but I think it could be one of those two guys. Which one would you want? Either of them good, good with you? I like them both. I, I like Johnson. I, I like getting these edge guys that are kind of guys you could maybe play linebacker that Sam linebacker spot, which we'll see Colin Oliver play. I do like Reed though as well. So I, I think I could probably take either of them. I think I think that Johnson may be the higher rated player right now, but I that's what whatever you put into recruiting rankings from two four seven and rivals and places like that. So I, I don't know which one would you prefer? Well I I love your reasoning there. So I'll, I'll echo it, but I, I, I like the idea of Brian Huff, like being a, you know, decently high profile, you know, wide receiver top, one of the top players in the state of Arkansas, a state that does produce some talent. So I would like to see that, but I mean, shoot, you you could go with either of them for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, I think the only other thing I wanted to mention, Cade, and I don't want to get too hyped about it because I, I don't have any great info on this, and I'm not sure if you have anything different, but I'm hearing some positive rumblings about our guy, Maile Waki Smith. Yeah. The quarterback from Junipero Serra. I think he was a pretty heavy BYU lean. I think he really, really enjoyed his visit. It's the guy that completed 68% of his passes last season, throwing for over 2,500 yards, 34 touchdowns, and just eight interceptions also ran the ball really well on the ground. It, it fin- I think he finished overall with like negative total yards. He's not really a running QB, but he can move really well. Number 31 rated QB right. in the entire country. This would be a big get. I haven't dove into the film intensely, but I've watched the huddle tape and I, I would love for Oklahoma state to land him. And this would be a great get. I think as your 2024 QB. Yeah, I would think so too. And a guy that's like pretty closely rated amongst, you know, some of the other top quarterbacks in the country, obviously, but commitments from Michael Hawkins to Oklahoma, Will Hammond to Texas Tech, Trey Owens to Texas, all of those right there in that kind of 25 to 31 range. So I think you would have a a really good prospect here. And I'll say this, I like what BYU's done at quarterback. So if he was a lean there, I think Oklahoma State would be in good hands here. And a different type of prospect than Oklahoma State traditionally would take, I I would think. Not a monster arm, but does a lot of good things, um, but doesn't maybe blow you away at any particular one of them outside of he's probably just a pretty good quarterback at this phase in his life. Yeah, and if if they get a commitment from a QB, we will definitely do a full Twitter breakdown on oh, that. Oh, for so- sure. But yeah, Cade, that was all I had. Thanks for letting me ramble again on recruiting. Thank you for doing so. You do a great job of walking (laughs) us through it. It's an area that uh, I know a lot of us probably don't pay as much attention to it. And so I'm thankful for it every week that you walk us through that. Um, Dustin, before we get to basketball, let's pause and take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. 
I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast all All right, Dustin, welcome back. Just a couple of quick notes on the basketball front. I'll flip it over to you for that. Yeah, Eric Danley Jr. has made the U19 FIBA World Cup team. That was announced, I think, on June 16th. Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boynton is an on-court assistant coach for that team. This year's U19 World Cup is being held in Debrecen, Hungary from June 24th to July 2nd with the Americans kicking things off on June 24th in pool play against Madagascar. So that tip-off, I think, is going to be like 5 a.m. Central time. (laughs) So if you want to get up and watch that, they're going to face Slovenia and Lebanon as well during pool play to determine the 16-team placement bracket, which will take place between... June 28th and July 2nd. You can live stream all the games on youtube.com slash FIBA. So if you want to get up early and watch them, you can. This will be the second time Daly and Boynton have been a part of USA basketball as the pair won a gold medal in the U18 America's Championship last summer. And Daly also helped win a gold medal back in 2021 in the FIBA 3-on-3 U18 World Cup as well as winning the 2021 FIBA 3-on-3 U18 World Cup dunk contest. So just kind of showed you a little bit of his athletic ability there. Kate, my main takeaway from this is it's awesome that Boynton and Daly continue to get to yeah. work together outside of Oklahoma State. Well, I, I kind of want to talk about Eric Daly a little bit more broadly. Um, there are like draft pundits that put Eric Daly as like a fringe lottery prospect. There are one and done vibes around Eric Daly, which I don't know if people are, you know, really paying much attention to or even thinking of, but he's one of the top rated prospects that Mike Boynton's ever pulled in. He is a true Dustin, which this, this was surprising to me because I'd watched his tape, but in his kind of AAU circuit, uh, those types of settings, he was playing so much positionless basketball that he's just one of the best athletes on the floor. He could do anything. He's like a true four. He's, he's a stretch four, as a matter of fact, And I think it changes some things about the way I would project the starting lineup next year. There's highlights of him. I mean, at at a true 6'8", 200 plus, you know, he's a big body guy that can shoot the three and is also athletic enough to put the ball on the floor and drive it on you. I I feel like Eric Daly could surprise a bunch of people next year with how good he is. I know Brandon Garrison, everybody's fired up about. I think we're going to talk about Eric Daly almost just as much. I love that you said that because that's kind of where I wanted to go with it as well. I think if he's able to go out there and show, and you know, this is a lot to ask for a true freshman, even one as highly regarded as him and highly rated coming out of high school. But if he can go out there and show that he has true basketball IQ and can compete on both ends of the floor, 
smartly, play good minutes, not get in foul trouble. Like you said, this is a guy that maybe we're talking about one and done. Yeah. Now, I think that's that's the ceiling, obviously. Right. So I'm not saying expect that. But you know, I wanted to ask you because I feel like you just are a better basketball mind than me in general. How did we get here? Thinking like, I just think the fan base overall, and maybe us, maybe even you and I included, you know, you're mentioning him being a stretch four. I feel like there is nowhere near as much hype around Eric Daly as there should be based on kind of how he was rated coming out of high school. And the fact that he almost went the G league route. Well, I, I, I think part of it is one. Yes. I totally agree with you. Even I missed this. Like with him, he's, he's very clearly a forward. Um, and again, I think that that's just a miss on my eval on my own evaluation of him, but so much, again, so much of the available tape of him is of him with a breakaway dunk, stepping out and hitting a three. I mean, he's got a shot that would look like he's been doing it for years. And I do think he had a little bit of a growth spurt. Uh, it was not something that I noticed that he was six, eight and a half. Um, when he was on a visit to Oklahoma <laughs> State, but I saw some tape of him recently. I'm like, that's not the Eric Daly that I watched. And so I do think that some of those factors play into this. And I do think his transfer, I mean, he's from IMG. He's not a local kid. I do think he's going to be somewhat unheralded right until he steps on foot or steps foot on campus and plays a game for Oklahoma State. And he's going to step on the, on the court and everybody's going to be like, Holy cow, who is who's number two? Because oh it, yeah, sorry, I think I just spoiled that. Yeah, who's number two in Eric Daly? That I think he's gonna surprise a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna be really fun to watch. I I'm starting to get more and more hyped about this basketball team, which hey, you knew we would. You knew we would no matter what <laughs> we were coming around. Portal. So it, it's I think it's gonna be really fun to watch guys like and and I'm not say I'm not trying, like you mentioned earlier, to downplay Garrison. I just think both of these guys have the potential and really high ceilings. Well, and I think I think now you start to wonder, okay, if that's the case and he can do what you hope he can, get you eight to ten points a night, you know, six to seven, eight rebounds a game, uh, you would absolutely take that from your four, right? Because I think what you're going to have at, at your center position in Brandon Garrison is going to be a player that, like, we haven't seen a whole lot of that. I mean, you, you've got a Musa Cisse and a Caleb Boone, two kind of polar opposite types of players. One can impact the game on the offense, the other on the defensive end of the floor. Brandon Garrison, I think, can do a little bit of both, maybe not to the extreme level that both of those guys did, but I do think that uh, you know both of those guys together are going to pair up well. And then it doesn't even, you, know, you don't even cover a guy like Mike Marsh, who I think could surprise some folks. Again, I don't think you want him starting, but I think he's going to play well. And then a total wild card in Isaiah Miranda. I mean, I think you could either get a situation where it doesn't work out at all or a situation yeah. where Mike Boynton looks like a total genius. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the the ceiling floor from Miranda is oh, literally he never as high or low second. as it. Yeah, Caleb <laughs> Boone-esque. Or he gets drafted next season. I mean, right. there's literally, it, it, it's all over the place. But yeah, no, it's great. I you Thanks for taking us in that direction on that daily comment that I had because I, I think that was a needed convo that we hadn't really got into on him in detail. Yeah, he's he's just a really interesting prospect. And I, I I would encourage anybody that hadn't watched him in a little while, turn on the tape with that context and watch him through a little bit of a different lens. I, I think that's what Oklahoma State's absolutely going to try to do. 
Yeah, I agree. One quick note on recruiting. Mainly, I just kind of wanted to talk more about the fact that thir- last Thursday was the first day college coaches could make contact with 2025 prospects. But Oklahoma State also sent out an offer to Caden Rayfield, 2025 power forward, 6'7", 180 pounds, not rated on 247 yet from Putnam City West in Oklahoma City. He announced the Oklahoma State offer, and I think the only other offer he holds right now, again, Thursday was the first day college coach could make contact, is LSU. He's a uh, team griffin in the Nike U16 EYBL circuit. There he averaged 9.7 points, 3.9 rebounds, and 1.9 assists in 20.8 minutes a game while shooting 48% from the field. I haven't watched a ton on Rayfield, but... If Mike, if this is going to be Mike Boynton's first offer when the contact period starts, I'm sure he likes something. He saw something that he liked. Well, I mean, there's there's some high profile schools getting in the mix here. I mean, Iowa, you know, perennial, you know, top team in the Big Ten, Illinois, additionally, Snake. Uh, I mean, LSU, Oklahoma State. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he he's going to end up being a four star, you know, no problem by by the time this is over. Maybe even a borderline five star. Yeah. No. Cade, I think that's all we had on basketball, and I think it's time for the roundup. I think so. I'm I'm ready. All right, let's start with golf because we have some big news there that I think you know is kind of a interesting topic with Oklahoma State fans because this guy did transfer at the end of his career. But Wyndham Clark, Oklahoma State golfer from 2012 to 2016, wins the U.S. Open, and it wasn't really the only Oklahoma State story of the weekend because. Former Oklahoma State golfer Ricky Fowler was in the lead basically the entire tournament. He set a U.S. Open record with 23 birdies, but kind of fell apart on Sunday. Three bogeys in the opening seven holes. He ended up shooting a 75. Yeah, it's pretty awesome that Ricky was in the mix. Wendell Clark wins it. And the guys on the broadcast were talking about Oklahoma State. Yeah. It seemed like every other hole. Yeah, it, it really was pretty great. And Wyndham, a, a guy, I think probably because he ended up transferring that a lot of people, even myself included, forget that he was at Oklahoma State. I don't think you can forget that now. Uh, he he is part of Oklahoma State. Um, and, you know, I I have to say was absolutely pulling for Ricky Fowler in that in that pairing. I think Wyndham, you know, is a guy that's come on the scene so fast. He's already got one win this year, gets his first major. And I think everybody in their dog was ready to see Ricky Fowler cross that bridge. But I think even the bigger story than, well, the second biggest story, I should say, is Ricky Fowler, you know, completely coming back to a point where he can, you know, be considered among major championship uh, contenders prior to a turn. Like, nobody would have thought Ricky Fowler had a shot this week, and he dang near won the thing. Yeah, it was so awesome to watch. He looked... You know, his outfits were awesome. Those shoes he had on uh, when he was wearing yeah. the orange hat with the orange shoes, those looked great. I definitely want those shoes now after seeing that. He didn't shoot that well in them that day, but it was awesome to see Ricky up there. Kate, I was actually in LA on Friday. Yeah, I wondered uh, about this. Thought about it. That wasn't the plan to go to the US Open. I was there hanging out with some friend, a friend that lives there, and I was there with a good buddy. And we went to a concert out there, but we were there with enough time to have gone on Friday. But I, I saw some, you know, notes about the event maybe not being the most fun for fans. It didn't look like the most interesting golf event to be at. But 
man, I, I feel like I missed out on an opportunity to watch Ricky Fowler play some really good golf. Also, the tickets were really expensive. But yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, that would have been amazing. But just not to just, I wasn't trying to change that convo to myself, but just the fact that Ricky was in the mix. Now I feel like I have some regret looking yeah, back on it. I mean, I, I was blown away with him. I mean, granted his scorecard looked about how it did when he was playing really well, uh, you know, prior to, you know, him, his career kind of like collapsing in on itself. He always has been a streaky golfer and he could go shoot a 29 on the front and, and then a fun. 40. It is fun, but it's not major championship like recipe right. for success. But, and yeah, but it's so when he wins, I think that's why he's so kind of fans are drawn to him even outside of Oklahoma State fans. You know, it's the fact that he's very active or he has been very active in advertisements. You know, they did the the golf boy stuff with Bubba and everything like that. He wore the orange on Sundays, but also I think his the way he plays where you're talking about that kind of up and down roller coaster. And when he was able to pull out those wins at the players and places like that, I think it's easy for fans to cheer for because they appreciated that crazy roller coaster ride. But to your point as an Oklahoma state fan and for him long-term in golf, it's, it's hard to watch because you know, it's just going to be up and down and it's unsustainable for him, which I, yeah. sorry, I wasn't trying to make your point for you, but it, no, it really it, is crazy. It, it was, it is unsustainable. And I think this weekend, uh, I, you know, I'm a big golf guy showed a side of Ricky Fowler that we hadn't seen yet. And I, he has always been a pretty emotional golfer. He was uh, stoic on locked the course, in. locked in the entire time. I tweeted this out, which it doesn't take a whole lot for me to press tweet nowadays, but I, I did note, like it looked like his heart rate didn't elevate above a single beat per minute when he was, you know, setting records on the course. So I think that that bodes well for Ricky. And I think that this is really good for his confidence going forward. You know, they've got another major coming up in the British open in a couple of weeks, and then it's going to be, you know, uh, a downhill to the off season. But I, I feel like he's got to be looking forward to getting back out there at the British open. I should say at the open championship, uh, thinking he's, he's got an opportunity to go out and play well again. And I, I think there's no reason he can't. I, I was really impressed with just about everything. I said on Saturday, I wish he could string a few more pars together. And then he strung about 10 together. It's like, okay, you might've wanted a birdie in there, but uh, it, not really what I was saying. It was more just like carve out the the bogey streaks. And uh, I think yeah. it'll be great. No, I, it was, it was really interesting to watch. You know, obviously I was rooting for Ricky as well. It's cool to see Wyndham win. You know, he did transfer to Oregon but I know that had a lot to do with yeah. kind of where he was at mentally after his mom passed away. It wasn't any ill will towards Oklahoma state. I know Alan Bratton and him were really close at the end there. I know, I think right after his mom passed away, Alan Bratton caddied for him at one of the amateur tournaments. So he's definitely an Oklahoma state state guy. He said so himself just ended up finishing his career at Oregon. So cool to see him win. Wish Ricky could have pulled it off, but definitely cool to see Clark win. Yeah. And the way Wyndham handled it, I mean, I, I can't imagine as, uh, you know, the way that happened for him at such a young yeah. age, I've been in that seat before, uh, to, to see him get that win and what that, what probably was going through his head. I mean, we'll put a tear in just about anybody's eye. It was a, a really cool moment. And if it wasn't Ricky, 
um, you know, hard to not root for a guy like Wyndham Clark. So, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Agree completely. Okay. Uh, after golf, just a couple quick baseball notes, man, Nolan Schubert just keeps racking up the awards. He has another All-American. This is the 2023 ABCA Rawlings All-America third team. So that's not freshman. That's overall third team. It marks Schubert's third All-America honor as he was previously named to the Collegiate Baseball and the NCBWA All-America third teams. He also was on the freshman All-America team for Collegiate Baseball. I mean, I I don't know how many more awards he can even get. And then also Isaac Stebbins made the 2023 NCBWA All-American third team as well. Hoping Stebbins comes back. He's able to go pro. We mentioned he's playing in summer league. I think in Cape Cod is what I had said previously. So we'll see if he comes back. But great from those guys. No real takes on that. Just wanted to mention it because it's awesome. Yeah, 100%. I think, obviously, Nolan Schubert with one of the best freshman seasons in a long time for Oklahoma State. Maybe uh, just after Rock Riggio, but it's close. (laughs) (laughs) Softball, we've got a couple of notes. We talked about these two ladies on the last podcast, Carly Godwin and Katie Cutts. They're coming in in this next class for Oklahoma State. They'll be freshmen next year. They both won Gatorade Player of the Year in their respective states. So Godwin, who primarily played shortstop in high school, Katie, I'm going to read this batting average to you. It's not a mistake. A 731 batting average with 20 home runs in class 1A in North Carolina helped her take home the Gatorade player of the year. And then Cuts, who was actually, this is her second time to win Gatorade player of the year. She's the five foot eight right-handed pitcher. She led Bishop O'Connell to a 21 and 0 record in both the Washington Catholic athletic conference and Virginia independent school athletic Association Division One tournament titles this past season. She went 19 and 0, so almost every game she won for them with a 0.45 ERA. So both these ladies will be coming in. And I think, like, similar to a Talon Edwards, both should have a chance to compete right away. So pretty awesome to hear that. And, you know, with how softball ended on, I guess, somewhat of a negative note, as negative as it can be going to the Women's College World Series and winning a game, that's some positive news. Yeah, I would say anytime your batting average starts with anything above a four, I think you're in good shape. But when it starts with a seven, that is ridiculous. We're talking about almost every time at the plate. And I, I didn't even know, know that was what, possible. I, I don't see her on. Oh, yes. No, I do have her on base percentage. A percentage, thousand? 809. That, <laughs> over eight, eight times out of every 10, she's getting on base. Yeah, that is outrageous. I That seems unbelievable, uh, actually. Yes. And speaking of insane on-base percentages, Rachel Becker was named the D1 Softball Newcomer of the Year. D1 Softball is wow. releasing their postseason awards list. They recognized her. She finished with a 443 batting average, 47 walks. Literally, I think probably – I think we said this on a previous podcast, but I think that on-base percentage was – up there as one of the records her 22 doubles tied for most in the country and she had a 977 fielding percentage at second base so pretty awesome there two other quick notes tatum clopton entered the transfer portal for oklahoma state she appeared in six games in 2022 which was her first year at oklahoma state she's a two-way player but hit and pitched it sounds like she had an injury this season and that's along with oklahoma state having a stacked pitching room but 
It sounds like she tore her labrum, didn't get a ton of playing time at Oklahoma State, so it makes sense that she would transfer, especially with Maxwell, Kilfoyle, and Acock all coming back. She was a really highly rated recruit, number seven overall prospect in the nation, according to Flow Softball, number 10 among pitchers, according to Extra Innings Softball. So sad to see her go. She seemed like someone that the players all really liked in the dugout, but Clopton will be out, and I, I don't really think it's a surprise to me, well, I'll follow your lead on that one. I, uh, you know, I know you have your finger on the pulse of softball and the recruiting that goes on there. So <laughs> I'll follow your lead. And then last note, transfer in. So lose one, gain one. Macy Graff from Mississippi State. She played in 40 games, making 30 starts, primarily at third base, but she also played some second base. Very fast. They used her as a pinch runner a lot in the game. She didn't start. Only four errors on 90 chances. So... Uh, 956 fielding percentage. Put that in contract in context. Uh, Megan Bloodworth had 11 errors and 150 chances. That would be a 927 fielding percentage. They played the they played the same position. Bloodworth played third base. Graf batted 291 on the year. She went through a little bit of a hitting kind of slump in SEC play. So hopefully she's able to get back out of that. It seemed like she hit really well against some of the weaker teams on Mississippi State schedule and struggled a little bit against the better teams. But again, she didn't have much help in the batting order because Mississippi State was really bad last year. So she was fifth on the team in runs, only one home run, not a power hitter, but she's someone that can get on base and apparently someone that has a pretty good glove. So great that Graf is coming in. We'll see how she fits in. She could play second or third, which Oklahoma State's going to need somebody for sure at second as we move into next season, as they lose Becker and Cade, that is it for the roundup. Dustin, you killed it as always, my friend. Thank you for uh, continuing to keep us in the loop on everything that's going on. We actually got some, some nice feedback on the roundup in one of our listener questions this week. Would you like to hear it? Yes, let's do it. Here's one from Peyton. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Cade. My name is Peyton. I've been listening to the podcast for quite a while now. Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for giving attention to smaller sports like tennis because I'm actually an Ocala beat writer at OSU right now, and I cover the women's tennis beat, so it's really cool to hear you all go just a little bit in-depth about the recruiting and what they're doing. Uh, but I had a, an important off-season question for you guys. So I've been to that West Virginia game last year. I went to the game in Norman where Tyreek Hill took the punt back, and the weather was pretty garbage for those games. So I wanted to know – what OSU sporting event had the absolute worst weather that you've been to? Thank you, guys. First off, Peyton, shout out to the work you do at the Ocali and everybody there. Love that. Thank you for uh, chiming in and, and some great feedback for our man Dustin here. I mean, he goes deep every week on <laughs> on all the, the smaller sports, quote unquote. Yeah, Peyton, we really appreciate that. And, and I want to shout out Peyton's Twitter handle, too. You should go follow him. He's at... So Peyton Little, and he's at Little Pate, which is L-I-T-T-L-E-P-A-Y-T. Definitely go follow him. Keep him locked in. I know he covers tennis, soccer, women's basketball for the Ocali. And the, like Cade said, the Ocali guys do a great job. Also, shout out to him because that West Virginia game last year looked absolutely disgusting. So the fact that you were at that and stayed there is pretty incredible. Cade, I, I have a couple, if you need a second to think, that I would – that. I had thought of. I, I would heard this just audio question say earlier. that West Virginia would probably be really close to top of the, my list, but I was not there. Uh, so shout out to Peyton for toughing that out. Go ahead. <laughs> so I've got, and remember, 
my I, I know I always say this. I'm sure it's very annoying to keep repeating, but I didn't go to an Oklahoma State game until in anything until 2007. So that's as far back as I can go. But for any of the olds out there who I know will have some better stories from longer ago, my bad. But Bedlam 2013, wind chill at kickoff, I believe, was three degrees. Not only was that miserably cold, I was at it with former podcast sponsor, Andrew Cox. So shout out to Andrew Cox. We were there together, sitting together. That was the game where Justin Gilbert had the interception that wasn't called an interception. Blake Bell led Oklahoma or Oklahoma to of the 33-24 victory. So Bedlam loss, wind chill of three degrees. I, I don't know how much worse you can get than that. Except this one, I don't know if it's worse, but this is a two okay, this is a two game stretch. I, you are here. saying so this counts this for me. You are saying it. Go ahead. <laughs> this is a two game stretch. Pittsburgh in 2016. There was a two hour lightning delay. My wife and I were living in Houston at the time. We lived in Houston for six years after college. Came back in town for the Pittsburgh game. Get the two hour delay, which Oklahoma State ends up winning that game. So positive news there. Then we end up going to the game in Waco, which I think I forgot to look this up and confirm, but I believe it was the next game because I think Pittsburgh was the last game of the non-con and Baylor was the first game of conference play. We go to Waco for that game, short drive from Houston, one and a half hour lightning delay, and then we lose the game. So in a two week span, we sat through three and a half hours of lightning delay. Those that Baylor game too is one of the like most excruciating Oklahoma State losses I can I can think of. That was not the Mason Rudolph debut. That was the game that Oklahoma State like should have won, right? Yeah, I think that was the Justice Hill fumble. Yes, and yes, it was. But Mason Rudolph's debut in Baylor also also raining. was rain. <laughs> so. Uh, so I, I Dustin, to add? yeah, I, I echo you on the 2013 bedlam. I think anybody that was there maintains that it was the coldest game they've been to, you know, unless you were at the, you know, what I, what is it? The ice bowl was it 1980. I can't remember. There was a bedlam previously that was colder than that. But I thought what you were going to say when you gave the two game stretch, Dustin was the game that happened before that one, which was Baylor at home, which was also unbelievably cold i think there was a cold yes. snap coming through and it was if if bedlam was three degree wind chill baylor was five and it was so two straight games one. two straight brutal games my wife was there i wasn't at that one i kid i thought about including that with bedlam but i would have been lying about being there <laughs> hey that's we i mean we don't lie but you can bend the truth <laughs> nobody's ever going to check you on that but yeah i i'm sure there's some i'm sure there's some games from the 80s like you said that were probably worse. I was only in the eighties for eight months, so I don't have a lot of memory from that from that decade. So I don't. Youngest guy jokes. alive. Uh, do you want to go <laughs> on the hot side? We went cold, but what's the hottest game you ever attended? Because it oh, it's man. fresh on my mind. Yeah, g- give me yours because I, I would have to think about that one for a second. There was a game against Sam Houston State at home in like I want to say that would have been two thousand and seven. That I think the it was the second game in September, maybe the first game where I think the real temp was over a hundred degrees and the, you know, it's, it's humid around that time of year. 
I was 12 years old and I still to this day remember just how hot that was. Um, so I don't know if you have one that sticks out to you that's just miserable, but I do pretty well in hot weather, but like that one stands out among the rest. Yeah, I can't think of one with the heat, but like you said, I, I do a little bit better in the hot than the cold. I'm I'm pretty big baby in the cold, being from Louisiana, living in Houston, and then obviously Oklahoma, which doesn't get insanely cold all the time. So I'm not very good in the cold. <laughs> well, Peyton, thanks for the question. That was a fantastic off-season question, and we've had some really strong ones over the last couple of weeks. That's exactly what we want to be talking about right now. This is another Strong one. When we start with our first Twitter question, our guy Corbett Klein, at Corbett Klein, Cade, who will be the next player from OSU to get drafted in the NBA? Would you say we have an eventual first rounder on campus or not? So I guess you can answer nobody to the first one if you're going to answer the second one is we don't have a guy on campus right now. So I wanted to throw this to you first because we kind of just talked about it a little bit. Yeah, I... I think they probably have a first rounder on campus. I just don't know which one it is. <laughs> I think Eric Daly could be one. And I think Isaiah Miranda could be one. And I also think that either one of those guys could end up not going pro this year. And you could see them be second round picks later on. Uh, if it if it was like a must answer, can't answer probably, then I would say no, they don't have one. But if they, if they did, it was going to be one of those two guys in my, in my mind. Any chance if a Javon Small or a Bryce Thompson have a really good year, you could see them busting into the second round? I don't I don't think so. Uh now into the second round, like get drafted just period. Yeah, drafted or, at all. Let's yeah, say drafted yeah, at all. I could I could see that, but uh I, I think Bryce Thompson's put a lot of like bad tape on tape. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. It'd have to be, a, it'd have to be a pretty good year for him all around and a really good shooting year, I think from distance, if he wanted to get drafted, but I think, I think you're right with daily and Miranda and not trying to leave out Brandon Garrison, but Miranda, again, we said ceiling floor is really, really big gap in between the ceiling and floor, but this is a guy who was working out with NBA teams, including the Oklahoma city thunder days before he committed to Oklahoma right. state. Right. Days before withdrawing for the, I mean, he waited to the last minute. So he was obviously getting some good buzz from scouts. The fact that he waited that long. If he has a decent year, you could see him get drafted if he wanted to go pro, yeah. not in the first totally. round, but in the second. So we'll kind of see how that goes. It's a great question with the draft coming up this Thursday. So, Corbett, we really appreciate that. Kate, I don't really have any other takes. I think Daly and Miranda are probably the guys you would say have the best chance and then garrison after that yeah i I think you're right dustin can i take it one quick direction it's basketball adjacent uh, not to this listener question but it is basketball news you see where rondell walker announced he was transferring to i did he should have never left should have never never left. left obviously rondell walker putnam city kid oklahoma state then to tcu then to north texas all in the span of three years and i I only wanted to bring this up, Dustin, not to you know slam the kid, but it is a cautionary tale of the the other side of the transfer portal. So many kids transfer up. Rondell's a kid that I I think people were ready to like you know have him sign their baby in Stillwater. Like yes. everybody loved him. Like there was there were Ivan McFarland comparisons being thrown around that I don't think were all that crazy. So I just 
it's sad. Uh, hopefully things go well for him at North Texas, which is a good program coming off an NIT championship. Grant McCaslin no longer there, obviously at Texas Tech, but it is a cautionary tale. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like if he just stuck around at Oklahoma State, he'd be in the starting lineup. Oklahoma State needs a starting three, but I don't think that they're going to take Rondell Walker back. Yeah, I agree. No, I think it's a great thing to call out because Rondell could have been used last year. I think he'd be used, obviously, 100%. this year. So it's tough to see him leave when I think he was maybe leaving to kind of better NIL pastures and maybe, you know, we don't know all the reasonings or we don't want, you know, we don't have confirmation on all the reasonings, but definitely, like you said, a cautionary tale there. So yeah, hundred percent. Uh, before we get to the next question, I, I forgot to do this earlier. I wanted to shout out Greg Hockert from the host. He's uh, one of the hosts of the around the 12 podcast, a podcast that I joined recently, had a great time. Greg's awesome. He, asked the question last week about which guys we thought would commit from the visits. So since we had the full list and we did that earlier, I wanted to shout out Greg because he kind of brought that to our attention and kind of put that in my brain to go through. So thanks Greg for that. Um, next up we have coach Michael Dowdy at Michael underscore Dowdy. He says with the latest articles that came out last week on OSU football, primarily the one about Bowman, is it getting harder to not be overly excited, optimistic about the 2023 season? I love yes. Leonardo hire, love switching to a multiple style offense, underrated trans transfer class. And shout out to Mike. Uh, we have some great Twitter DMs. He's a better football mind than me. He's a high school coach. So glad that he sent in this question. Great question. Kate, I'll throw it to you, but my just answer is yes, it is getting harder. And I was already having trouble before the article. Yeah, I mean, we're we have gone from six wins to nine wins, and I I can almost guarantee you by the end of the offseason, you and I will be predicting 10 wins. I I I just know how this goes. So, yes, absolutely. But I think all of it is rooted in educ I'll call it educated optimism. Like if you look at this thing objectively, it's not gonna take a whole lot for Oklahoma State to win at least eight games. And if the ball bounces right, they stay healthy, yes. They can win 10 games, and I, I love the question, and I love that he called out the underrated transfer class. Everybody and their dog nationally, I think that's the second time I've said that. I'll, I'll find a new uh, metaphor, has said that Oklahoma State was gouged by the transfer portal. Until otherwise proven, I will maintain that they upgraded at most positions. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I love the question. I, I mean, kid, I know it was only one practice, but I was telling you instantly after that practice how good Bowman looked. And just stuff like this is just making it literally impossible to to level my ex level set my expectations. <laughs> uh, we got two more. Our guy Royal John OSU at Wasted Optimism says, speaking of the Bowman article, I guess it's possible that he has two years of eligibility left if a waiver is approved due to his past medical hardship. If that's the case, is it is it time to hang the future playoff participant banner? I mean, Cade, we we talked about this earlier in the podcast. If this is a guy, if Bowman stays healthy, has a great year, and he's able to come back for a second year, just more time with this offensive with this offensive lineman, with these wide receivers, with the running back core, and Nardo has an, a year under his belt coaching defense at the Power Five level. Yes, I think I think we could be talking future playoff participant. Ben. Yeah, uh, man. That's such a uh, FPP. Oh yeah, right. A wild, uh, you know, new track that we're on. But I do think it's a yeah, reasonable and, one. 
And it's it's ceiling again. And, you know, Bowman's injury history also makes us think, you know, why I mean, maybe he gets injured again. So it's just, you know, it's definitely a ceiling, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And I love that Royal John brought that brought that up. Last one, Cade, Sam Bouchert at GoPokes02 says, what are your what are your guys' top five favorite football players at OSU during the Gundy era? You want to do like top five together or yeah, you, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And there's gonna be a ton of people we leave out. Um, you wanna get you wanna do like who we think like the three best are and then give one nostalgia pick each. Yeah, or because to make because, it easy. Yeah, it's it's gonna be yes, we can do that. And I think you should pick so, one that's not like Dez or Justin Blackman or Brandon Whedon, like pick right. somebody off the beaten path. So I think if we're going to do the three best, I think you've got to put Whedon and Blackman yep. in there just for all their accolades, two-time Blitnikoff, Big 12 championship, the 2011 season. And then a third, do you want to just throw Dez in there? I think you have to. He may okay. be number – he may still be number one for me just from yeah. favorite player. Yeah. And look, I know there's – oh, well, I mean, you know, and just to be specific on this, we are doing Gundy era. I'm sure – I don't know if I said that in the question. That's you did. You did. Okay. Yeah. You see, like yeah, Barry, Barry. Sanders, yeah. Thomas. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So those are our three. So, Kate, give me your, give me like your guy, and you can even give me a couple if you want to. If you can rattle some off, we don't have to keep it to five. I know that's what Sam said, but since we did kind of three top best players, give me three guys you just loved. Yeah, I mean Kendall Hunter still yeah, uh, awesome. one of it's my all-time mind. favorite Cowboys, and I think probably for a lot of people that's going to be an answer. Um, I'll I'll give another player on that same team, uh, Lucian Antoine, strong safety that played at Oklahoma State all four years. I don't know if he was ever an All-American, but I think was just an underrated type of player. Uh, you know, was counterpart to Mar- Markel Martin for a while maybe even overshadowed by Markel Martin, who was an All-American back there. Uh, I, I I always had a soft spot for him. Yeah, I, I think one that sticks out to me, just kind of one of the first names I really knew coming into Oklahoma State because he had a really solid season the first year I was there. He ended up being a first-round draft pick is Brandon Pettigrew. I just oh, feel yeah. like every time he caught the ball as a first down. And if you go look at his like average yards per reception, they are like first downs every time. So uh, I've got to go with Pettigrew. Kendall Hunter would have been one of mine. I'll go one on the defense. I've, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I love Daquan Lowe. Oh, yeah. He was one of my favorite players. And I, and I think he's one that's more of like a guy that was just, you know, a favorite. Because if you go look at his stats, he wasn't always leading the team and everything. But he was just such an intense player. When you hear other players talk about him in interviews, they talk about just how kind of intense he was, how hard of a hitter he was. And I just love that on defense. And then I just want to give an honorable mention shout out to our buddy, Josh Cooper. Mm. You got you to give him a shout out. So. Yeah, the guy, the guy needs his flowers. And I know that there's a lot of people who will say Josh Cooper. I mean, an, also an underrated guy surrounded by all Americans at the wide receiver spot. And also, I know he's not listening, and he'd probably even get mad at me for saying this, but just a great guy in general. <laughs> uh, if you vouch for him, then then I will take that. Uh, one one last one, and I have died on this hill publicly. Clint Shelf still, I believe, is a 
underrated quarterback. And I say underrated in all caps because I, I still feel like, you know, the run that he went on in 2012 and 2013 does not get the credit uh, deserved. And I could do this for days. I I, I love yeah. this. Dude, Justin Gilbert. Gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. Yes. Justin Gilbert. I'll stop. But I, I thought of one earlier that I thought was not random, but I was like, Jordan, Jordan Brailford had, and oh. I went and looked, I, he had like a 10 and a half sack season. I knew he had like a really yeah. high sack total season, but Jordan Brailford is one that season. He was my, one of my favorite players. I mean, Vince, Vincent Taylor is a, oh, another yeah. guy that I think probably deserves Patrick more, Brown, more five credit. interceptions yeah, I mean, in 2011. Let's just run through it. We can do another whole other podcast on that. <laughs> I hate We can't because I want to go watch the end of this LSU baseball game. I'm sorry. Yep. Let's get out of here. Listeners, we could keep going. But thanks, guys, so much. These questions are awesome. Yeah. These they, are great they, questions. Anytime we skip questions, it's just because we're running out of time because literally all the questions you guys send in are awesome. And I think this week was a great example. I mean, these are A-plus questions, just ones where – Kate and I can give our opinion, which it's awesome to us that you guys even care. And it's things that are fun to talk about. Absolutely. Everything you just said, I couldn't agree with more. And I, I just love kind of hearing what people want to know from us. It's always fun and keep it up. We we don't necessarily do questions in the uh, during the season. So uh, get your crazy questions in. Uh, Dustin, one of these days, somebody's going to ask me about my UFO story and what I may <laughs> yeah, tell it go and that. I may not. So, uh, if somebody asks one of these it. days, I, we'll see. I'll send in a question. I, I'm a, I'm a regular Tom DeLong with the UFOs. So, uh, shout out to, uh, obviously Blink-182. Dustin, I'll get you out of here. I won't make you do your best Coach O impression unless you want to. You are more than welcome to sign off with that. But if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FeelsLike45Pod. You can follow Dustin at DustRagu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.